The Voice is a show watched by millions. There are judges sitting in these big red chairs, and their backs are to those who are competing. It is designed that way because they want to be influenced only by what they hear. And if what they hear gets, gets their attention, they will turn the chair in hopes of being a coach to that contestant. Your church, to me, could be illustrated in that kind of a way. First of all, what has happened here over the last nine years, it's, it's unprecedented. Most churches don't grow. Churches that grow, grow very incrementally. What has happened here is unprecedented. Starting from nothing to where you are in nine years says that your message, your passion behind the message, your attitude and how you live that message has gotten the attention of this community. It's like this town is sitting in the red chair. There are a lot of churches throughout this country, and I'm not critical of any of them. I'm thankful, but I want to be honest with you. There are times that we're just not getting the attention of the communities where we exist. The sound we make, the way we make that sound, the message we communicate, or how we're communicating it, just doesn't cause someone to turn their attention to want to know more. So I celebrate you today for living in such a way and doing ministry in such a way that here at this second service, it's packed out. None of you were part of this church nine years ago because it didn't exist. God had an amazing plan. And if he's done this in nine years, what does the next nine hold? And I love having the seat to just watch closely what God is doing. One thing that you're doing is being effective at the mission God's given you. All of us as Christians, we have been given a purpose, and that is to share this story of grace in our lives with other people. As a church, that is the mission, to try and reach other people with the message that Jesus is the one who changes lives. And just invite them to discover that truth and to go on a journey of discovery, and see what will happen. And one reason that you're doing that so well is because you help people discover who they are. The most read book, other than the Bible, of all, you know, history, and and that's a lot. Now, you think about this. The most read book, the book that sold more copies than any other book ever written except the Bible, starts with the sentence of, why am I here? And the reason it was so widely read is because everyone's trying to discover identity. So many things happen in life, and it labels you, and you live with this label, you live with this identity, and if it's not the right identity, it will lock all of your potential in, and it will lock God out. One way to talk about identity is through the phenomenon that's happened in the social media world called Twitter, And if you want to follow a conversation, you label it. You label it with a hashtag. I'll put this up here. That's not tic-tac-toe. When I was a teenager, it meant get out the pencil. We're about to play. That's not what that means. This is a hashtag, and it's the way if you and I were having a conversation on Twitter, we could hashtag the conversation, and you could track it. It would label it. It would identify it. We're all identified, we're all labeled, 
And if that's not right, if we're not living in the identity created for us, then we live a life way beneath what we should live. We may live a life that's very dysfunctional, just completely broken. So who would have the right to label you? Some of you are living with a label that keeps you from succeeding because someone told you you're stupid, you'll never measure up, you're just not capable, you never hit the target. And that has created an identity for you and you only go so far. You live a very limited life because you're locked up by the hashtag, by the label. But I don't think the person who said that really has the right to set your identity. Who has that right? Let's work with that for a moment. Let me show you uh, this Nike swoosh. This is the way Nike labels every product. They have the right to do that because they are the maker. Let me show you another label. This is Apple. They label their products this way, and they have the right to because they are the maker. Now, if I go into the Apple store and purchase one of their products, which I did, I can walk out of that store, take a marker, and because I'm the buyer, I can put my name on it. So the maker and the buyer have the right to set a label. If I go into the Apple store and I don't buy anything, but I take my marker and I just walk along just writing my name on all those products, uh, it's not going to go well with me. The mall cop is coming on his little, and he's taking me down. But once I make the purchase, then I have the right to label. So here is the point I want you to get from this. According to Genesis, God is our creator, yes? According to Scripture, creator, God, worked in such a way as to be the redeemer. It is God who made you, and then it is God who by his act of grace redeemed you or purchased you. Let me show you this in the book of Corinthians. Paul wrote this. It's 1 Corinthians 6. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. The story there is when Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice of his life, shed his blood. So you're not purchased with temporal or or natural things such as silver and gold, but with the very sacrifice of the life of Jesus. So creator acted in such a way to redeem you. The maker and the buyer is the one who has the right and the only one who has the right to hashtag or label you. And if you are living today with an identity that is not set by Jesus Christ, then you're living under an identity that's going to lock your potential in and it's going to lock God out. One reason this church has been amazingly successful is because they're communicating that message that Jesus is maker, Jesus is redeemer, and everyone who is labeled by grace lives a life of unlimited potential. Yeah, go ahead. That's good news. So... Let's talk about this. This is going to be a fun sermon. Let me show you a hashtag. Hashtag accepted. So many people that you talk to in a week's time, they do not feel accepted. 
many churches are not doing a good enough job at living a ministry of acceptance. Where they place confidence in Jesus to change people, all they have to do is accept people. When Jesus was coming through a town, there was a man named Zacchaeus who wanted a greater vantage point, and he climbs his tree so that he can see Jesus. He is hashtag tax collector. Like, let me set this up. I, I can tell I, I need to set this up. If you would have be identified by this hashtag, just make a little noise. Hashtag cat lover. Anybody? Go ahead, don't, don't be ashamed. Go ahead. Yeah, see? Okay. Here's another. Hashtag not a cat lover. Cats get the worst rap of any. What? All right, here's one. Hashtag, I love my church. An identifier. Well, Zacchaeus was tax collector. Yeah, kind of be like the hashtag cat lover thing right there. Say, that's the way you would have reacted. Jesus comes along, sees him has a quick conversation with him and says, hey, come down, I want to go to your house, I want to spend some time with you, I want to talk to you. This is before, before Zacchaeus has made any kind of public statement that he's going to change. Ultimately, Zacchaeus is going to surrender his life to Jesus and is going to work to pay back, in some cases, four times what he had taken from people. But when Jesus is talking to him, no one knows that. And the unique, powerful ministry of Jesus that I think is a powerful description of this church is Jesus accepted people before they changed. A lot of churches get this right in theory and theology, but mess it up in the practice of that statement. We say we accept people and that we know Jesus changes people, but we live in such a way that says, hey, Zacchaeus, it would really be helpful because hashtag tax collector, uh, it would be nice if you would just tell everybody while you're up there where they can see you and hear you that you plan to change. Matter of fact, go ahead and say you're sorry, you really messed up your life, you've taken advantage of people, and, and you want another chance. And then you can come to our church. Jesus didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, if you'll make that statement, then we'll go to your house and, and I'll build a relationship with you. In private is where Zacchaeus made the decision to change his life. Any church that will practice the model of we love people, no strings attached. We accept you, no strings attached. It doesn't mean we agree, but you can love people without agreeing with them. Jesus didn't agree with Zacchaeus' lifestyle, but he still accepted him. And any church that will accept people with the confidence that Jesus then can change people, you're going to cause this community like the red chair to turn. You're going to get their attention, and you're going to continue to grow and see lives change. We accept you before you change. Hashtag accepted. No matter who you are today, no matter your backstory, you're welcome here. You are accepted because the rest of us would not be here but for the grace of God. I remember Jason saying, 
a statement, we're not here to see through you, but to see you through. That means you're accepted. Doesn't mean we, we lack vision for change. It just means we are confident in the grace of Jesus to change us. Young lady we worked with who felt very unaccepted. Her story was this, that when she was born, her, her mother couldn't take care of her. She was placed in the foster care system. And by the time she was 18 years old, she'd been in 18 different homes. At age 18, she aged out of the foster care system, and so she had nowhere to go. We arranged to have her uh, housing provided and strong love and care and discipleship. And over a year, this was her story. She said, I certainly didn't feel like a daughter, didn't feel like I belonged to anyone or anywhere. It was the deepest loneliness, hashtag unaccepted. That was her identity. She said, as I have been through this process and I've learned about grace, I've come to the point where I know I am a daughter. See the transition? She goes, I am accepted. And she made a statement that I'll never forget. She said, I've learned I'm not the exception to God's acceptance. And neither are you. Maybe you feel lonely or unwanted like you don't belong. You're living with a label. You're living with an identity that can be changed because your maker and your buyer says you are accepted and there is love and power to change your life. Let's talk about that. Hashtag new. This is what the young lady was saying. I'm not who I used to be. When we talk about being new, we're not talking about renovation. We're talking about the Bible says new creation. Uh, years ago, early 90s, I drove a Geo Metro. Has anyone uh, ever driven a Geo Metro? It ra- hashtag you and me, Geo Metro. Geo Metro, mine was ugly. I'm just going to be honest. I'm sure yours was awesome. Mine was so ugly. It was this ugly color, and it, it didn't even have four cylinders. It was a three-cylinder car. It, it just groaned. It whined. It just, it, and I can just tell you, there came a time where I wanted a new car. Like, I didn't want to use, I wanted a new, I, I so, I wanted more than improvement. I wanted change. Trying to communicate to my church what it means to be new, I showed them pictures of my Geo Metro on these huge screens that we have. But behind the curtain on the platform, I had a $200,000 Mercedes G-Wagon. It's not mine. Uh, no, it's not yet. Uh, no, yeah. no, it's not mine at all. Nor will it be. Hashtag never. Uh, so here's this amazing $200,000 vehicle. Just, And I said, look, there's no comparison between the Metro and the Mercedes. Like, none. There's nothing, nothing about those two. Like, completely different, day and night. Being new is not bad people becoming good. It's spiritually dead people becoming alive. The young lady who felt unaccepted, didn't need an improved life. She needed a changed life. 
She didn't need her past to give way some. She needed a future that was not her past. Peter talking about this said, you've been brought out of darkness into light. You are not who you used to be. Let me show you how Paul wrote it. This is 2 Corinthians 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? Say it with me. The old life is gone. The metro's gone. The old life is gone. And what a new life has begun. New. Recently, I was getting my truck washed. And as I drove up to, to pay, the attendant said, you want a fragrance? And I said, yes. What kind? Because, you know, there's like a hundred different fragrances. I said, new car. Just shoot it twice. Matter of fact, while I'm sitting here, spray it on me. Because there's just something about new. Like new, new, new. In Oklahoma, you can get biscuits and gravy. Like that's a fragrance. It is. It is. Yes, it is. No, seriously. No, hashtag I'm telling the truth. It is. So, Metro to Mercedes, you are not who you used to be. Any church that can communicate to its community that Jesus accepts you, Jesus makes you new, is going to gain the attention and have tremendous influence. Maybe you feel broken used up, age-wise, you're not old, but you feel like your youth has been robbed from you, I'm saying to you that the power of grace will make you new. When I talk to people about new, sometimes they think it associates only with heaven, like they've heard enough about the gospel that When we get to heaven, everything will be like perfectly new. And that's true. But the teaching of scripture, it's right here. New begins now. It doesn't begin when we go to heaven. It begins the moment you surrender your life to Jesus. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Hashtag free. That's the third one. Free often means free from what I used to be. In the story of the young lady, free from a life of deep loneliness that resulted in dysfunction because she didn't feel she belonged anywhere to anyone. Couldn't couldn't keep a relationship, couldn't keep a job. And it all went back to this label, this hashtag, this identity. When she discovered that she was accepted by God, And she started walking into that new life. She was not only free from what she was. Here's the key about freedom. It's freedom to the life for which you were created. We talk a lot in church about restoration. Restoration, I'm restored. Restored from addictive cycles. But it's more than that. I'm restored to a life of purpose. A life where it's called destiny. 
Restoration actually means restored to original intent. That God created you, and God created you with a plan. God created you with a purpose in mind. Life had its way and took you way off the path of that purpose. But by grace, you're placed back in the zone. And here's what's awesome. Here's where the past plays into the future. The pain of your past that's been reconciled gets now merging with the passion of God's destiny. And when passion and pain merge, pain that's been redeemed, you then become this incredibly effective person living in the zone, God's will for your life, making a difference with your life. Freedom to what you're doing. You know, this morning, this morning my alarm went off and it woke me up out of a night's sleep. But it did more than wake me up from sleep. It woke me up to the purpose of this day. It woke me up to the opportunity of getting to see you, getting to connect with you, getting to be part of a nine-year celebration. It was much more than just waking up from. It was waking me up to a, a day of opportunity. Hear me. Freedom is not just getting over your past. It's awakening to the future. And when you live with this identity that's dysfunctioned your life, you give up hope that there's really any purpose out there. And you spend your life doing repair instead of realizing it's about being new. Let me take you to Joshua. This is chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, hey, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River especially around Jericho. They need to take this city in order to go forward. So the two men set out and came to the house of a, what's the description? What's the label? What's the hashtag? To a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there that night. The first few chapters of Joshua, Rahab is mentioned about six times, and it's always with that description. That's her identity. She's a prostitute. Anyone in that lifestyle certainly doesn't feel accepted, anything but new, and they're not free. The identity has their life completely messed up. All the potential's locked in and God's locked out. She has an encounter with God. And this encounter with God creates a process of change in her life. Now, I want to take you to Matthew. This is the New Testament first book, Matthew chapter 1. Here's how it reads. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was, say it with me, but notice her identity has changed. She's no longer a prostitute. She's now a mother, whose mother was Rahab. Hashtag mom. Now notice, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David, which means that Rahab was the great-grandmother of the greatest king Israel ever had. Now when she is living a life of such brokenness, if we could have had a conversation with her and said, do you realize you 
are going to be an awesome mom and even the great-grandmother of the greatest king Israel will ever have. She would have said, you got the wrong person. Not me, because look, look, hashtag prostitute. Not me. You got to be accepted to have a, a marriage and to be a mom. You, you, you have to be so much more than me to have a life of purpose. Not me. You got the wrong person. And that's not where the story ends. This, this is mind-blowing. You can only use the word grace to describe what we're about to see. If you read through the whole first chapter of Matthew, it becomes a lineage that leads to Jesus. All of these names, you know, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And it goes person after person until you get to Jesus, which means that Rahab was the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved an unaccepted, broken wretch like me. I was lost, lost purpose, lost identity, lost hope, lost joy. I was blinded to the life I could live, but now I see. Nine years, you've been faithfully presenting the message that grace accepts, makes new, and creates freedom. Not just freedom from, but freedom to a life you could never imagine. Six years ago, a man walked into my church, but he had no men's clothes. He got invited to our church, and when he was invited to our church by this couple, he said to them, I'll never walk out alive. I mean, when the car wash has country cooking as a fragrance, you probably you probably have a perception that you would never be accepted anywhere. But he came to church that day, and that day, before he even heard the message because people treated him with respect. It wasn't about agreement at all with his, with his lifestyle. It was about, he was just loved. It lowered his barrier, his mentality that would have all of his defenses up against the message of Jesus. And that day he accepted Jesus Christ. That was six years ago. I've watched him as a follower of Jesus for six years. And I watched one year ago when he met this awesome lady. And they built a relationship. And for the last six months, I've been counseling them because in three months, they're going to get married. And her life was as messed up as his. He sat with me and he said, my dad was a pastor. See, it doesn't matter what kind of home. Man, the enemy can play with your mind and have you on a path that is complete destruction. And you find yourself going, how did I get here? Hashtag stuck. 
hashtag empty, miserable, lonely, broken, addicted, confused, but by grace, changed. So he's got this awesome life now and a great purpose because there is a God who's greater than all of our failure. There's grace that's greater than all of our sin. And today, we celebrate you as a church for living this. And we also give you an opportunity to accept it. So with your eyes closed, if you have connected with something you've heard today in this message, and you say, I need the power of newness. I feel lonely and wonder if I could ever really belong. I feel in a destructive pattern, wish there was freedom. I I have lost my hope for a future of purpose. It's hard to really dream and be excited and motivated about tomorrow because of all that has happened. And I'm just living with this identity. It's got all my potential locked up on the inside and it's got God locked out. And I've listened to you today and I'm willing to give it a try. I'm willing to surrender and allow grace to happen in my life. If that is you, would you just raise your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. Just keep, thank you. Thank you. Keep raising them. Some of you may have been coming to this church for a year because you've been on a journey. You listen to words of truth and hope, but you've kind of listened to it as though it's for everyone else because of your story. You just haven't been able to apply it to your heart. But today, you realize it is for you. And every message you've heard has been like seed planted in the ground. And now truth has gotten a hold of your thought process. And you realize this message is for you. Say, Pastor, it's for me. Would you just raise your hand right now? Say, include me in the prayer. I need my life to be changed. Lord, I thank you for hands that have been lifted today. I thank you for what you're going to do in response to this honesty and a spirit of surrender. I ask that by your grace, you would come in with love and mercy. And as these individuals just say to you that they need you, they're desperate for you. As they request your life-changing grace and ask you to forgive them of their sins, I pray that just waves of your love would rush in over their heart bringing in this mercy and taking away the shame, bringing in grace and taking away the guilt, bringing in newness and taking away the death-like experience. That right now the old life is gone and the new has begun. That right now they are accepted, they are in Christ, that right now they are free, free from sin and free to a future of purpose. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for this church that has helped hundreds of people, even thousands, to know the grace that we've talked about today. So many people in this room, they're walking in the reality of this message because this church has been faithful to the mission you've given. And I pray you strengthen Pastor Jason and Raina. You strengthen the team that's around them. You strengthen this church with the resolve to never quit 
giving this message to never quit loving people and throwing the doors of their heart, their homes, and this place open to whosoever will. And God, the next nine years will hold miraculous stories, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Praise God. I just feel to say this to you before you go. When Rahab got her life changed, she said to those spies, she said, look, is it your God that parted the Red Sea? And they told her about the power of God that brought them out of Egypt. And that's when she turned her heart to God. So you got to go back to Exodus 3 where when God is parting the Red Sea, which was a miracle of bringing people out, that miracle held another miracle because when that miracle was shared it was going to be a life-changing influence on the life of Rahab and then look at the influence of Rahab's life so your story the miracle of this church and the miracle of your personal life contains another miracle the person that's going to be changed in the future the catalyst for that change is going to be the God they see in your story. So never quit sharing the story because it keeps the miracle in motion. All right? I love you guys. Have a great, great nine-year celebration.